There is a um, there's a statement that's attributed to Mark Twain about interpreting the Bible, and since Mark Twain was a skeptic, it may seem odd to use it. But um, but Twain said, um, I think I've got the actual quote in here. But but Mark Twain said said uh, it wasn't the things in the Bible that he didn't understand that bothered him. It was the things that he did understand that bothered him. And I think that even though Twain was a was a um, skeptic, I think that that's a good good approach to to spend when you're interpreting the Bible, because there are all kinds of uh, rabbit trails and, and crannies and crevices you can go exploring in, uh, particularly if that seems uh, easier than doing what's very clear Jesus wants you to do. So um, so uh, I, I take some, some comfort from that idea as I look at the story about the, um, the uh, transfiguration, because it is in so many ways a puzzling a puzzling story. You could spend forever uh, trying to make sense of the transfiguration. And um, I think if we do that, we may find ourselves focusing on those odd little areas and miss the big point. So I want to talk about the transfiguration, but just so you understand uh, what I mean by small areas um, or, or odd things, I guess I would start with just the name, the, the name transfiguration. It's a puzzling uh, a puzzling word to a lot of us. Uh, um, and it's particularly puzzling to me because there are four accounts of the transfiguration in the Bible. There are three in the Gospels. There's four four Gospel accounts, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's in the first three. It's also in one of the letters. There's a letter uh, called Second Peter. And it's uh, either written by Peter or uh, one of Peter's disciples. And uh, in all four of these places, there's, a, there's an account of what happened at this transfiguration. And in two of them... The word that's used is not transfiguration. The word transfiguration is not in the Bible. The word in the Bible is metamorphosis. And see, we know what metamorphosis is, right? We, we either we know it because we watch uh, science fiction movies and the people are changing into different creatures and they're morphing them, or because we paid half attention in, in uh, middle school and we learned about the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. So we know what a metamorphosis is. We don't know what a transfiguration is. But really, they're the same word. Um, a transfiguration is is um, uh, uh, when when uh, somebody's figure uh, undergoes a, a, a transition. So it's it's the figure that you have afterwards, the shape you have afterwards. Metamorphosis means the same thing. It's the shape you have afterwards. And the 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 story of the transfiguration doesn't tell us what that was. It tells us something happened. Jesus' appearance was transfigured, but we don't know what did what did he mean. Was it like when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? Was it a huge transformation? Was it something that's just breathtaking? Or was it more subtle, something like when a five-year-old me turns into a 50-year-old me, where, you know, you can... <laughs> look, at, look at that smiling kid. That was me. Um, uh, so, um, so, so was it something subtle where you can see there's, there's a, there's some similarity, but there's some difference, but there's some similarity. What was the nature of this transfiguration? I mean, clearly there's a transfiguration there. Um, but was that the kind of transfiguration Jesus went? Or was it more like the caterpillar and the butterfly? The Bible doesn't tell us. And, you know, I want to know, did he like have like glowing laser eyes or, you know, 18 feet tall? I want to know, and the Bible doesn't tell me. So uh, that's the first place. It's like I wanted to know what kind of transfiguration. And, of course, the next question is, did it really happen? Right? This is my Western Enlightenment-era mindset. I want to know, did he really change, or did they just see him change? In, in Matthew's Gospel, 
Jesus himself, as he's walking down the, the mountain with his disciples, he says, don't tell anyone about the vision. So maybe it was just a vision. But on the other hand, in Second Peter, uh, the, the writer insists that they were eyewitness accounts to it. So I don't know what really happened. Was it a vision? Was it, was it, and clearly it was a vision because the shape, the appearance changed, but was it just a vision? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us or doesn't give us enough information to know. Um, uh, I, I guess, I guess the, the, the thing that has always puzzled me about it is they see Moses and Elijah. How do they know it's Moses and Elijah? Moses has been dead 12 centuries. Um, Elijah's been gone for uh, eight centuries. How do they know? Do they have like name tags? You know, hello, my name is Moses. You know, hi, I'm, call me Elijah. I don't know. How did they know? We don't, we're not told. The, there's these, these odd things about the, the transfiguration and, and the answers are not there. Uh, there's also just frankly some discrepancies. We see different accounts. Uh, in Matthew and Mark, uh, they go up the mountain six days after the things that happened before. In Luke's account, which we just heard, um, it was about eight days. It doesn't say it wasn't six, but it was about eight days. So so there's these odd little discrepancies. They're not really significant. And, and to be honest, I take some comfort from those discrepancies because they, they remind me that this probably is eyewitness testimony where they agree on the broad strokes but disagree on the small details. So... So, but, but it's, it's disquieting, but, but as you think about it, it's like, all right, I can see that. Um, uh, so what I'd like to do today is just focus on the big picture and not go down those crannies. I know I've spent some time exploring them, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them go now and talk about the big picture because what we see in the, the, um, the transfiguration is a story of something, uh, amazing that happened when Jesus took some disciples up on a mountain. His appearance somehow changed, and uh, he was seen speaking to uh, Moses and Elijah. And then a voice was heard from the mount, from, from a cloud, a, a heavenly voice, a divine voice, said, "This is my son. Listen to him." And then they went back down the mountain and found this this thing going on with the the other disciples who'd been left behind weren't able to heal this boy. So that's kind of the big picture. And um, uh, what I want to do is is not focus on the small details. You see, um, I think there's a picture of. Um, uh, is there a picture? So uh, this is this is the picture that Raphael did, or it's the top half. And this is, I think, where we often leave the Transfiguration. This thing up on the mountain. And I want to make sure we look at the bottom half too, because I think the the story is meant to be seen as a whole, where you see the Transfiguration up on the mountain, and then you see the the failure of the disciples to cure the boy down below. So that's when I talk about the big picture. That's what I mean by the big picture. And what I want to do is I want to explore it very quickly. Um, what does it mean? Um, uh, using Mark Twain's rule, I'm going to say, uh, stick to the parts you understand. And the part I understand best is when the voice from the cloud says, this is my son, listen to him. That's That's the part... Um, like Mark Twain said, it's the part I understand and the part that bothers me because I don't always do it. So what I want to do is I want to look at what it means to listen to my son. So first of all, the voice says, this is my son. Now, 2,000 years have kind of rubbed 
the 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 sharp edges off that statement um, because because I think we miss we miss what's going on when we hear that we think of course Jesus is God's son you know we understand that we're Christians we we've heard that a thousand times what's the big deal but in context remember there's three people up on the mountain there's Moses and Elijah and Jesus up on the mountain and God says these two guys here they're servants great servants very important any Jew knows who Moses and Elijah are they're not my son this is my son this is this is incredibly radical change of perspective for the disciples who went up there and saw this. Uh, God is taking the two people that they would have said are the highest authorities there are, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the lawgiver, the person who led the, the Jews out of slavery in Egypt and demoting him. He's taking Elijah, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, Elijah was shorthand for all the other prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and everybody else. The shorthand for prophet was Elijah. And God is saying, I don't have a problem with him. He's a great servant. He's not my son. Jesus is my son. So I think the first thing for us to understand this is is to say, okay, Moses and Elijah, I've got that. Okay, Jesus is a higher authority than Moses and Elijah. But what other authorities do I recognize and is Jesus a higher authority than them? You know, is Jesus uh, uh, the government? Is Jesus a higher authority for us than the government? If we get uh, if we get a tax bill, okay. If we get told we have to change our parking lot, okay. Is Jesus a higher authority than the than the government? Those may not lead us into conflict. The examples I came up with, but but people do face this all the time. There's there's Christians who are facing. Um, harassment and even oppression at the hands of their governments all over the world today. So is Jesus a higher authority than our government? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. How about this? Is Jesus a higher authority than science? Okay, this is something I trip up against all the time. If Jesus tells me to believe this and science tells me to believe that, which one am I going to believe? Is Jesus the highest authority for me? How about how about um, uh, economists? Economists tell me I have to, to, to believe this about the way money works, and, and Jesus tells me to believe this. Who's the higher authority? Is your highest authority Fox News or MSNBC? Or is it Jesus? These are the sorts of questions we have to ask ourselves. How about this one? Is our highest authority our denominational hierarchy or Jesus? Or maybe if we're not denominational people, maybe our highest authority is that mega church down the street. They must be doing something right because look, they got all those people there. Uh, maybe we should look at them. Are they our highest authority? We have to ask ourselves, who are our highest authorities? And is Jesus higher than them? So the first question is, this is my son. This is my son. These are not. Which one are we going to listen to? Because that's the next thing we're told to do, is to listen. He says to listen. I think it's interesting, if you think back to that picture, look, look at the front of your, your bulletin, the picture Raphael painted of this, the, the top half and the bottom half. What we see as we picture the, the events of the transfiguration is, is the, the transfiguration itself. But watch what's going on with the disciples. The disciples are failing. Look at Jesus. 
Jesus, I mean, not, not Jesus, look at Peter. By all means, look at Jesus. Uh, but if we think about Peter, what did Peter do? Peter went on a religious retreat, okay? He went on the best church retreat ever, okay? He was up on the mountaintop, and he got a mountaintop experience. Boy, did he get a mountaintop experience. He has never felt as close to God, right? He's in the cloud that God is speaking out of, okay? He has never had that kind of religious experience. The hair on his arms, probably on his head too, is standing up, okay? He has never had a religious experience like he's having now. And what does Peter say? He says, encore. He says, I want more of this. Let's keep this going. He says, let's build some shelters and hang out up here on the mountaintop because this is a great experience for me. And Jesus doesn't even say no. Jesus just ignores him and walks down the mountain. But what happens when we get down to the bottom of the mountain? What do we see there? We see a different kind of failure. The, the disciples who have been down at the foot of the mountain, they've had a failure of their own. They have failed to cure this epileptic boy or whatever is wrong with him, a demon that has uh, made him foam at the mouth and, and throws him to the ground. And you say, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? I've never succeeded at doing that either. But they have. If we go back just to the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has empowered his disciples to, to, he gives them authority over demons and the ability to heal disease, and they go out and they do it. And now they fail. Jesus is up on the mountain. They fail without Jesus. Why? They succeeded when he sent them out away from him on a missionary trip, but now they failed. We see failure here. And so the lesson to listen to Jesus becomes all the more important. I think the church too often can fall into one of these two patterns. We can say we want to have that vertical, that vertical connection to God that reduces the distance between us and God. Or maybe we feel called to to a ministry, a, a horizontal ministry between us and God's creation a ministry of healing. And I think this is particularly what the the more liberal mainline churches have been so good at for centuries. Um, you know, how many hospitals have, have the word Presbyterian in their name? How many universities were founded by Methodists? How, how big of a footprint has the church had in bringing good news into a dark and broken world? The church has been great in having this horizontal ministry. But the lesson here is if it's not founded on listening to Jesus, it will not succeed. So, this is my son, listen to him. That's what I think we should focus here, and not on what did Jesus look like, did he turn into a caterpillar, whatever it is. I think the lesson here is this is my son, listen to him. So what's our application? Well, today's a great day for this. Uh, Today is the day we install new leaders in the church. So, I would charge them to listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus as the top authority. As the top authority over these other authorities, over the denominations and over the megachurches, over the government and over the commentators, over science and economists. Listen to Jesus, who is the Son of God. Listen to Jesus as you go about the work of leading this church. But I would also... Give the, give that charge to those, to the rest of us. Because you see, the church isn't a democracy, right? We don't get to vote in the church. 
it, it, it's not something, you get to vote, what, three times? You get to vote, you get to vote on how much to pay me. You get to vote on who you think God is calling to lead the church. And then you get to vote every Sunday whether you come here or not. Those are the three things you get to choose in the church. And so you too need to be listening to Jesus. Because that's really the only question that you get to ask. You don't get to say, I don't like where we're going. You only get to say, are we going where Jesus is calling us? Because it's not our church. It's not my church. It's not council's church. It's Jesus' church. And he gets to decide where we go. The only way you know if we're going where we're supposed to is if you're listening to Jesus. So how do we do that? We read the Bible. We go to worship on Sundays. And I would point out in, in the passage, this whole experience begins when Jesus takes his disciples up the mountain to pray. So if you've got opinions about the church, whether you're one of the council uh, leaders on council or whether you're someone who comes here every Sunday faithfully, if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not praying, what makes you think your reflections on the church are listening to Jesus? So listen to Jesus. He is the top authority. He is the Son of God. Listen to Him. And if we do then Jesus will give us the mountaintop experiences as he sees fit. He will bring us into closer and closer connection to God. But he will also empower our ministry so we can continue the tradition of the church, making a dark world a lighter place. This is my son. Listen to him. Thanks be to God.